What does it mean to truly love something in a way that isn't familial or romantic? Whether it's baseball, comic books, science fiction, or Led Zeppelin, every subsect of society has a population of viewers, listeners, or collectors who have nothing but adoration for a particular category of interest. We call them simply fans. In this four-part series, the Bonsai Boys, Jay and Travis, turn the camera on those who love unconditionally through the good and the bad and examine the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the all-around world of fandom. Jay, question. As, Travis. as for cold opens, uh, I thought about this one. A good ten minutes before, okay, we started talking. So I'm I'm honed in. I'm sharp as a razor. Uh, oh, I forgot it already. No. Uh, here's my question to you: If you could create a convention, a convention, Jay, for a fan group that doesn't have a convention yet, or at least one that you know of, what? convention would you create where do you want to go to meet with like-minded people to meet the creators of this particular thing to mingle to mix to mix and mingle to buy some merch that you can't get on the streets or the inner streets the interwebs okay talk me through this what do we got okay i'll, t- I'll talk you through this first of all wait wait, wait. take my hand okay <laughs> Now look into yeah, my, it's a little sweaty. Now, I'm a little now, sweaty. Okay, okay. <laughs> look into my eyes. <laughs> nope, we're not playing slaps, Jay. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> we're not playing slaps. This is serious. What convention? Talk me through it. That's that's not your hand, Travis. <laughs> um, so I don't even particularly like this, but as as you're asking me questions, my mind's like fun. First of all, I get nervous now when you ask me these things because the past few times I disappoint you. No. And I don't go in the direction you want me to. You're trying to lead me somewhere. And I go, no, like I no, stray off not at all, not at all, yeah. not at all. I'm just, I'm just razzing. This is a good old fashioned razz, Jay. <laughs> so as you were saying that, something did come to mind, but it's really strange because I don't particularly, I mean, I like this, this thing. But I don't love it, and I'm not really into it, and I'm fairly certain this might exist. But before you answer, let me ask you this question: Okay, would you say you're a fan of this thing? See, when I think the word "fan," I think fanatic, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm a fanatic, but I, I I I do enjoy them. Okay, let's put it that way. I I I love that they're in the world. Ooh, I, I like your pronoun of there. Go ahead, hit me. So, I think it would be cool to have a Lego convention. Hmm. Like have builders come and and like have custom builds and and just stuff like that. Show off your custom build. Show off some unique pieces. Even like funny like lego merch you know t-shirts that people like lego my ego and then like a, a lego ego waffle on the shirt sure that's just that's just no, off the top of my head cool. jay this is off the top of my head you could sell that there yeah you could sell it yeah yeah you know stuff like that yeah and you could have like different age groups like the uh 
five to eight-year-old Lego building uh, age group. Now, when we when you go to like comic book conventions, so usually there will usually be. I remember at least in um, a couple years at at Phoenix Comic Con, there would be a a Lego build where they would have like uh, a huge table where they build this whole Lego world, and it's got Harry Potter and Spiderman and Batman, and they're all. It looked. It was always dope. But like to take that and make it like tenfold, and like everywhere you go, it's like people. I think you would need to give them like a ten-day setup, so every booth like they can bring their their world to it and have their time yeah. to set it up. They'd have to do a lot of pre-work, you know, a lot of pre-build, so they can just like snap things in place. But that would be dope. We could take pictures with them. Yeah, people in Lego costumes, maybe a little Chris Pratt. I don't know who else is attached to the Lego franchise. <laughs> uh. I don't know. I don't know. Legolas from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, I I know that I was at uh, when I was at Disneyland, like the Lego store was like one of the coolest things. I think like, these humongous like Buzz Lightyear builds and is that owned all these by Disney? Disney scenes. Is Lego owned by Disney? I don't know, but there's a lot of Lego stuff on Disney Plus. Mm, so it, it probably it is. is. At least the entertainment section. I that's mm-hmm. a strike against me. That's a strike against me for the Lego convention. I was on board. <laughs> We've got to well, stop this Disney yeah. thing. I gotta stop that's watching this stuff. Corporate giant. What about you? What would you do? Uh, I think um, uh, these already exist, but I'm making it very specific. I want 1980s wrestling convention. Uh. I want a 1980s wrestling convention because I like the aesthetic of 1980s wrestlers. Also, I feel like those guys need the money. Yeah. And, yeah. like, they would be fun to talk to. Like, I saw Jake the Snake at a, the Phoenix Comic Con uh, one year. Or, no, it wasn't the Phoenix Comic Con. It was, like, uh, maybe WonderCon. Not WonderCon. Uh, what, what was the Amazing Con? Phoenix Amazing Con. And he was really cool. It's really cool to see these people that you grew up with as a kid, and they're all old, and they're... They're so excited to be there. Like, hey, yeah, thanks, brother. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm like, I used to watch you with my dad. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have all like the cool like art, like the fan art from uh, 1980s wrestling, like Ted DiBiase. You know, I'm pretty sure he's dead, but uh, you know, like but fan art, like some like exclusive cool shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, know? yeah. Maybe some I, like spandex, like yeah. custom spandex. Exactly. I basically I want Ooh. like a. 75-year-old former opiate addict to put me in a headlock. <laughs> a sweaty headlock. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Jay, we got a new set. We got a new set, baby. Brand new cellophane still on. Cell, yeah. Let's 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 tear that open right now. <laughs> oh, I love the smell of a new set. You know what it smells like? Potential. <laughs> it smells like potential. It does. It does. That sweet potential scent. 
This episode smells kind of like a 1989 Sam Goody store or a Suncoast video. Ooh, I yeah. like that. Ever a Suncoast video, Jay? I do. All yeah. those overpriced movies. Yeah. The the trick was you had to go in there when you were underage when there was a real slacker working behind the counter. So that way you could buy those R-rated movies. <laughs> what about three copies of Mallrats that my mom threw out three times? Because she would hear it coming <laughs> from my room and be like, what is this? Give me that tape. And she'd take it. <laughs> I had to go buy another $19 VHS of Mallrats. I had to wait for the right person to be behind the counter. I remember they had a lot of cool action figures at Suncoast, too. Oh. Yeah, they did. And some posters. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you got to have those uh, Jujubees. That was a cool store, man. Yeah. That was a cool store. Yeah. Rest in peace. What do we got today? Yeah. What do we... Ca- uh, so, I guess we should introduce our set. Well, welcome. Oh, I didn't see you there. Audience, pull up a seat. Let, let Jay and I introduce to you. Let us unfold what the next four episodes are going to be on. Jay, would you like to uh, introduce our uh, guest to our new set? Very much so. So, our new set... I'm just going to be back in the back making Hot Pockets for everyone. Go ahead, Jay. (laughs) Uh, No ham and cheese for me. Pepperoni. Um, Our our new set, we've decided to call uh, Fandom. It's all about fandom. Because Travis and I are... uh, we're involved in, in fandom as well, so, but we wanted to look at it through the pop culture lens. And do you want do you want to talk about the book or should I just? Yeah. So I, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're both uh, 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 big fans of pop culture and different arenas of pop culture. But this uh, set is all dedicated to fan culture. What it means mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about maybe some things that we want to discover on this journey. What does it mean to be a fan? Uh, yeah. Is kind of what I'm interested in. Um, what I'm interested in. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I was saying, I'm interested in, in is how much is too much. Yes, I think we're gonna. I think I think already we're gonna we're gonna discover that. What what kind of loyalties are essential, and where do we cross the line? Like as far, and also mm-hmm. like. Uh, uh, I think another thing is when do fans? Uh, is it positive for fans to start having a say in the art? Ugh. You know, yeah. uh, where 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 should that where should the boundary be between creator and fan? I, I, these are interesting questions. I, I'm now I'm fascinated. Mm-hmm. 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 It's, yeah, curiosity so, peaked. Curiosity killed the rat. I might not make it through this set. <laughs> My last name is Rats, for all you listeners who didn't get that joke. <laughs> now it's funny, isn't it? Now it's uh, funny! Uh, You're a fan! Yeah. Hey, listen, you know what? You know what the meta thing of this is? If you've listened to every episode of the Pop Bonsai podcast, then you are a fan. Ooh, I hope there's at least one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what do we have today? What are we starting off with? So, you know, I didn't do my research but mm. we are starting. I did. Off Would you like me to hit it with like the author and all that stuff? I know the the author. Okay. But what what you did it come out? Oh, go ahead and introduce the author. So the <laughs> the author is uh, a guy. Named I am literally. I'm literally searching for John. I'm literally searching for searching for John Hughes. <laughs> 
So it's a, a book called you know, Searching for John Hughes or Everything I Learned in Life I Got from 80s Movies or something like that by mm-hmm. uh, Correct. a guy named Jason Diamond. And But I don't recall what year it actually came oh, out. Oh, good question. It wasn't that long. Maybe, maybe two, I guess it is long perspective. Oh, 2016. Okay, that makes sense. Because I think he's gone and, on and, and written for a lot of other publications at this point. Yeah, yeah. And so I did not, I didn't know anything about this book. And um, even though it didn't quite go the direction I thought it was going to go, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was still pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And it still fit very much in our set. Yes, uh, I, I agree. I think um, the, yeah, the, well, we should be clear. The book is called Searching for John Hughes. Yeah. It's not called yeah. Finding John Hughes or mm-hmm. Fan of John Hughes or Everything John Hughes or John Hughes question mark. <laughs> it's called Searching for John Hughes and that searching becomes the key verb in this title because this story mm-hmm. follows it is a nonfiction piece. Uh, it's almost it really is more it's it's less of a me- it's less of a uh, a biography on John Hughes and more of a memoir about our author Jason Diamond, uh, and he uses yeah. John Hughes as a device to uh, give his memoirs as a framing device for his memoir. So uh, the story follows um, our uh, writer and uh, protagonist here um, in this nonfiction piece, uh, Jason Diamond, and it's about his childhood in suburbia, growing up watching John Hughes movies, being from a broken home, and eventually discovering his talents as a writer and his passion for writing. Uh, And it also goes through his moving from his small suburban town into the big city uh, of New York. He grew up in a a Chicago suburbs just like John Hughes. Um, So he has that similarity with John Hughes. He goes to the big city to pursue his career in writing, but he doesn't know what to write about necessarily. Well, I should say that uh, in order to make it as a writer, he's trying to find that big project. And he decides that he is going to write a biography on John Hughes. Now, I think he started this back in like the early 2000s, like this idea is percolated. Mm-hmm. And so the story follows his life as a, a upcoming writer, but also the pitfalls of trying to write a biography about John Hughes, uh, which ultimately takes us to our our thesis here at the end of this book, which we're going to talk about. But that's basically the premise of Searching for John Hughes. Very good. Yes. So I hope you don't mind. Uh, I want to start off with asking you uh, about your John Hughes um, experience. You're going to ask... Hugh, you want to ask Hugh? Hugh? What's <laughs> what's your experience? Let me ask Hugh a question. <laughs> um, so uh, John Hughes, of course. Uh, it's it's funny. I looked at the age of this author. I think he was born in nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty. So he is really the the midpoint between you, uh, your age, and my age. Like he falls like kind of right in the middle of of that. Because I was born in 84, you, Jay, were born in? 
75. 75. So we have just about that 10-year gap, and uh, 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 Jason Diamond falls right there in the middle. So, uh-huh. um, so of course, uh, being a kid in the 80s, John Hughes movies were everywhere. I have a four-year-old sister, so entertainment got brought into the house to watch as a family or with the older sister that was maybe a little bit older than what I would have been watching. Also, it is the 80s, so I I grew up overseas. We had one channel um, that played American shows, so VHS tapes were a big part of our life, especially on the weekends when we go to the video store and rent stuff. So, of course, John Hughes movies came into the house. and so I remember as a, a kid, uh, you know, seeing 16 Candles, seeing Pretty in Pink, seeing Breakfast Club, seeing Weird Science, seeing all those. Of course, at that, that stage, not knowing the connection between those. But because those are so popular and because they're being brought into the home, it really kind of set a tone for what movies were. Because John Hughes movies were so popular, it really, I'm like, oh, these are the types of movies you, these are the types of stories you tell in movies. Uh, later on, I would discover my own generation's John Hughes, like the Richard Link letters and, and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so I don't I don't have John Hughes posters. I am a fan of his work. I am not a fanatic of his work. So maybe maybe I don't, and maybe I'm not a fan. I'm a casual fanatic of of, of his work. I I can rewatch a John Hughes movie no problem. Uh, in fact, I just rewatched Sixteen Candles after re- uh, reading this book uh, because I was like, "Oh, let me absorb some John Hughes. Let me see how John Hughes tastes after this amuse bouche, you know, mm-hmm. this palate cleanser." I wanted to see, okay, am I viewing this through different eyes? So I wanted to throw on one, and that was one. I'm like, I don't really remember Sixteen Candles that well. I rewatched Pretty in Pink um, during the pandemic and uh, uh, Weird Science during the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I would say that I'm very familiar with his work. When I look up John Hughes on IMDb, you have, obviously, the movies he's written and then the movies he's written and directed. Uh, And there's a little bit of difference between those. Um, And, uh, you know, John Hughes is one of those directors where you, you don't realize his fingerprints are on something until you look up what he's done. You're like, John Hughes did that? It's too, yeah, I, I would agree with that to a point for sure. Sure. What about you? What's your experience with John Hughes? What's what's your your <laughs> experience with John Hughes? Uh, I you know I don't remember if I just caught, um, Pretty in Pink on like HBO one day, and I just started watching it for whatever reason. Humble brag. How old were you what? when you had HBO? Uh, well, my mom had it. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. And so I'd always go in her room and just hang out. And because, again, no friends in junior high. Yeah, and so yeah. I would just sit there and watch TV 24 7. So, yeah, um, we watched, I was watching that and that came on. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. And I think I asked my mom. And then mom your, about your mom it. was like, Jay, Nino, isn't she pretty in, in, in pink? <laughs> How would you say that in Spanish? Isn't she pretty in pink? Oh, <laughs> you know, you know, skills on the spot. You, you, you better sharpen up, man. You know, I'm giving you Spanish questions all the time. If you butcher well, it, our I mean, fan won't complain. 
<laughs> Mom, if you're listening, don't write in and correct Jay's Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Bonita and like Rosa? Bonita and Rosa. Isn't yeah, she Bonita in Rosa? <laughs> oh, shut up, Roomba. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that's my Roomba. So, so yeah, I mean, and then I just started, you know, the ball just got rolling, you know, with some kind of wonderful and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and 16 Candles. Because I, I watched them. I was a little too young to... Uh, appreciate them when they first came out but Mm -hmm. just shortly after i'd go back and like you said ran them all and and uh and just i loved i mean i loved the music in them i just you know and a lot of i remember a lot of people going that's such such bullshit that's not even high school that's not real high school that's some stupid adults version of high school but that's what was so cool about it that it was like a fantasy version of high school you know somebody's idealized vision of high school you know and, and that's what i kind of liked so and let's let's care. use that as your our jumping off point so uh in this novel we, we here's one of the things that i connected to in this and i, and I was like oh i think w- when i suggested this one you jumped on us like oh maybe he's a john hughes fan because you're like absolutely let's do this uh and you're maybe just being kind but uh no I, uh, I i am i would call myself a john hughes fan y- yeah sure. and um so one of the surprising things uh was how little maybe there is talk about John Hughes movies and his films and what he does in his films that makes it a John Hughes film. Uh, but one of the things that I was very surprised to connect with is this, uh, uh, our, our writer's um, puberty uh, fandom. Because he's a punk rocker, man. Mm-hmm. Jay, Jason Diamond grew up, and like he talks about it as being this kind of nerdy, introverted guy and then he used punk rock as he's very open about it as being like a poser in a lot of ways like he was like oh i started dressing like a skater i started skating but i could only like ollie and like maybe do a kickflip or you know uh something like that and and so it was carrying his skateboard around he talks about walking into class one day with the skateboard and someone's like uh to paraphrase something it was like uh cool skate bro and then from that point on he's like okay like, I know you're making fun of me, but you just identified me with a subgroup, with a a, a clique, with an yeah. identity. And yep. uh, even before that, it was his babysitter who turned him on to John Hughes movies. So John Hughes came before punk rock. And so uh, a lot of his uh, puberty and his early adolescent development was a mixture of the relationships with people and the relationships with culture and cultural hierarchy in John Hughes movies mixed with his own uh, entree into the um, culture of skateboarding. So it was like he was finding his quote-unquote John Hughes click if you want to look at like something like a breakfast club stereotype with skateboarding, like that kind of burnout thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know what you're saying about you know being a misfit, being a, <clears throat> a guy that never really fit in. And as far as like John Hughes, uh, actually, it's probably most of John Hughes movies. That's an element. That's like a recurring element in a ton of his movies. There's always the 
the guy that you know on the surface just looks like you know just total I don't want to know, piece of shit kind of yeah. thing. And no one likes him. No one wants to like him. No one helps because him. John Candy know. character in, in, in planes, trains, and automobiles. And yeah. Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, you, Ducky, the two guys in Weird Science, the, you know, uh, uh, Ali Sheedy in, in Breakfast Club. Long, Long Dong. And, yeah. Yeah. No, Long, no, Duck Long, Dong. Dong. <laughs> Long Duck Dong had it from the beginning. He was cool from the beginning. <laughs> God, I wish it could be Long Dark Dong. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what really stuck to him. And to me, those high school movies are like the signature John Hughes movies. Because honestly, like some of the some of the things I, I find out he, he wrote, I'm like, you know, okay. You know, like Curly Sue. Do you know he wrote Curly Sue? Mm-hmm. You, you know, I'm like, yeah. okay. You know, uh, but to me, it's like that's, the, that's where he left his signature in, in those in those high school movies, you know, that he made. Yeah, I really connected it to it because it feels like he really focused a lot of the early parts, chapters of this book on that growing up time period between punk rock and John Hughes movies. And it made mm-hmm. me think about how important it was, not only music and my introduction to punk rock as a aesthetic for me to take on, but also a director. For me, it was like Kevin Smith. Uh, I, I yeah, my sister sure. my sister brought Mallrat oh, it was the second time I mentioned Mallrats Mallrats home and I was probably twelve uh, and I watched it and I watched it again and watched it again and then I went and watched Clerks and then Chasing Amy came out like when I was like eighth grade or like uh, and then Dogma came out you know like maybe around that same time too and I remember being like this is it this is how I want to interact with people. So I was fanatical. Like I would watch it, and I'd want to be those characters. In fact, I would model my behavior off those characters. I would try to put my friend groups in situations where we were somehow mirroring some kind of uh, Kevin Smithian adventure or conversation. I'd always try to steer a conversation into some... uh, uh, Kevin Smith type dialogue you know uh, I remember learning more vocabulary uh-huh. because I wanted to speak uh, at that I wanted to be Brody from All Rats so I really connected early on to Jason Diamond's fanaticism over um, uh, a music culture and then the film representation for his generation of how that plays out and what that looks like in there uh, so that to me, and when I got to that part, I was like, "Oh, I think Jay might, I think Jay might kind of click in with that same thing of of uh, how integral, uh, you know, being a fan is fun no matter what age you are, but it's fun to be a, a Game of Thrones fan in your 30s. It's essential to be a Kevin Smith fan when I was, uh, you know, 12, because um, it, it, because. The Game of Thrones thing is something I chew up, I enjoy, it, it, I can spit out. Uh, but the, because it was such an early formative years, the Kevin Smith stuff is integral to my outlook on life. Because for so long, like we're going to talk about here in a little bit, I thought life should be and was trying to make life a Mallrats or Clerks or Chasing Amy. Uh, these slacker conversations that somehow make you feel better about your place in life. Um, And a a lot Mm -hmm. of this theme of this book is about him trying uh, to 
manipulate his life to be somewhat of a John Hughes movie when he you know moves to the big city because mm. that's what you do. That's what that's what uh, Molly Ringwald would do after you know Pretty in Pink. She would go and move to New York. You know, um, she would interact randomly with old people from high school, like a ducky and and things like that, and have dinner with them and and be embarrassed by things and uh, strive for things. So I, I really connected to that in this in this book. Yeah, I I. I totally understand that and and i really like the way you put that about what what you were saying about kevin smith it's yeah it's it's interesting how like it seems like certain generations just have that one that one artist that really like you really connect with like that's my voice mm-hmm. they they talk like i talk mm-hmm. you know or they talk how i want to talk how our mm-hmm. friends that you know you it's like it's just something that speaks to you, and yeah, I'm I'm right there with you with Kevin Smith, dude. In fact, we should probably do a Kevin Smith uh, well, they, uh, they, set. <laughs> they both they both went in the same route too, as far as what they ended up doing. You know, when John Hughes later in his life is doing like Flubber and you know things like that, and you're like, yeah, cop dude, out. what happened? <laughs> you know, cop out and like you know He Man cartoons and uh, yeah. uh, that type of stuff. It's you know, there's like five essential movies that are like untouchable and so uh they are you know shrink wrapped in your childhood um and so you can forgive any kind of latter-day sins which jason diamond does he tries to come to terms with what happened to john hughes in those latter years uh but uh on there um yeah so let me ask you about this uh the the suburbs of chicago are very much a character in this book in as much as uh, uh, Jason Diamond, uh, after leaving the suburbs, goes to New York, and once he can't quite make it there, he's kind of working odd jobs. He comes back to Chicago because he has a lead on someone who maybe wants to buy um, on spec this book he's writing. So he's like, "Let me go back to Chicago. I can work. I can get set up at this job, and then I can write my John Hughes book." Visit my old neighborhoods. Uh, well, no, not, the idea was to like you know trace john hughes but in doing so he had in in finding more about the guy who influenced his childhood he had to go back to his childhood um and which was a really interesting study i think in how a fan works when he physically has to go back like just talk about that kevin smith thing if i had to go back to where i was living and and look at those places again in relation to where i am now does uh, so i guess the uh, uh, i guess the larger question is do you think fandom has a shelf life jay do you think that do you think that we should be so precious about what we hold on to that we cared so much for huh D- so no i'll take my answer I, i'll take my answer off air <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> I, I do think that fandom does have a shelf life for just because I mean you watch these movies you say you watch John Hughes movies you know you watch you listen to you know Rolling Stones records or or Kinks records you watch even like like Simpsons you know that those are some name random things I know a lot of some of my friends are into but you once you absorb them and you 
take what you can out of them, then eventually I think maybe, you know, the fandom has run its course, but it'll always have a special place in your heart. Um, I just think that there's, there's a fandom and then there's an obsession and then it just kind of goes back into fandom again. And um, so I, I think it does. I think it does. I think you don't stop loving it, but I think you stop consuming it in the passionate way you once did, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it almost makes um, me wish that that I could go on that journey. That Jay, I mean, obviously it took a lot of time, but it makes me wish I can, could go on there. And I think I would find a lot of perspective on my... He found so much perspective going back and trying to discover what it was about John Hughes that made him special for him personally. Uh, and in doing so, found out a lot about what his weaknesses and strengths were. So I think it, it is an interesting road to self-improvement and self-discovery to the thing that shaped who you are so much to go back and now try to discover what it, what it was about it that shaped you. And did it mm-hmm. shape you in positive ways or negative ways? Um, so what do you think? I don't know, he, man. What do you? Oh, go ahead, please. I was going to say sometimes, then the it, it, I, that's a very interesting question, because I think sometimes if it does shape you in negative ways, I think sometimes you may not see it. You may not. Oh, you see have blinders it to it. Shape. Yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to but, see it. Yeah. Well, do you think so? In this book, what do you think the ultimate... He, he, he kind of sums it up. I can't quite remember the exact phrasing at the end. But um, do you think his... Does, do you think he looks back on this love and search for John Hughes? What, what do you take away? Was it a positive takeaway or a negative takeaway? His, his fanaticism over John Hughes movies. Well... Here's the thing. I don't I don't think it I don't think it's it he really says and because of that I feel like it was maybe a negative. Yeah, I think it was it, maybe Yeah. I think he does say something about like towards maybe like the last couple of pages of the book, he talks about um you know I kept expecting life to be a John Hughes movie, but that's fiction. And you can't yeah. You can't expect life to play out like a fictional story, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, a John Hughes movie or a Richard Linkletter movie or a Nancy Myers movie. You know, a lot of people get caught up in that romantic comedy fandom where they expect mm-hmm. their life to play out like this. Um, and relationships and archetypes aren't as black and white in real life. Um, and it feels like this this guy created a lot of enemies in his life because they would be enemies to a John Hughes character. They would be enemies to a ducky. Wow. They would be they would be enemies to the kids in um uh weird science. And I get that because the characters that I yeah. like growing up and was were fans of, if if I, I, I start I start looking at relationships and being like, Brody wouldn't put up with this shit. Why am I putting mm-hmm. up with it? Brody wouldn't yeah. like Brody wouldn't hang out with this person. Why am I hanging out with this person? And How so, would TS talk to this lady friend yeah. over here? <laughs> Fuck TS. <laughs> Willem. Yeah. 
that's really interesting. You're right. You're right. He did kind of start viewing his own life through a John Hughes movie lens. Mm -hmm. Huh? Crazy. I don't even know if he realizes that. (laughs) (laughs) So going further with this, one of the, um, it's called Searching for John Hughes. Spoiler, he never meets John Hughes in person. He gets close a couple of times, but he never meets him. In fact, sometimes he actually actively avoids trying to meet him. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of the person he would have to attach himself to in order to do that, he's like, "Fuck that guy," you know. I'm not hanging out with that yeah. guy just like I meet John Hughes. That's not how I want to do it. I want to do it on my own. Um, what do you think about if you're a fan of something? What are your thoughts on meeting the creators to that? That thing that I don't you want love? to. Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, like, do you have any stories probably... about when you have met someone? A little bit. A little bit, um, not to the extreme of, um, like, because so, so I, uh, really, uh, like the Rolling Stones. It's probably my favorite band. But if I saw like Mick Jagger, would you say you're a fan of the Rolling Stones? Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) That's going to be my new question (laughs) for everything now. But are you a fan? Definitely. Uh, If I saw them. It would see it would have to be in the right context. Like if if we happen to be in the in the, have to, the, the atmosphere would have to be right. But if I saw Mick Jagger, all right, here we go. At here like, we go. Like a Ralph. All right, just no, just one second. Uh, so um, just uh, I'm looking for a peanut butter. Do you have any peanut butter here? Just <laughs> just go just go on peanut butter. Oh, hello. Sorry, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Jay, this is your no. chance. This is your chance. <laughs> No, I would never know. Well, you know, funny thing. Uh, so Alice Cooper is kind of a local celeb in, in, in the Arizona. Phoenix area. Yeah, big in, in golfer and, that guy. Yeah, and uh, I used to work at Toys R Us, and there was nobody he, at at the Toys R Us in the, in the morning. And freaking Alice Cooper walks in, dude. Now here's a guy that was friends with uh, Jim Morrison. He was friends with Frank Zappa. He was friends with Salvador freaking Dolly, dude. And here he was. And I happened, he was sitting there looking at the remote control cars. And he asked me, he's like, hey, he's like, can you tell me which one of these things do you like? Like, which one of these things is the the best? You know, and I'm like, oh, golly, Mr. Cooper. uh, I don't know. You know, and that would have been a pretty cool opportunity because he was so. Were you like, um, I don't know, we might go with the Monster Mash, or you know what? I think I'm going to recommend the Frankenstein. Feed <laughs> my Frankenstein. <laughs> and it's only eighteen dollars. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, and you want to get it I now because school's going to be out for the summer soon. <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't say anything, man. I chickened out, but you know, it would have to be a scenario like that. But it just would all depends. It and I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it if they were total jerks about it or about anything. I, I it would just devastate. Who are you a fan of that you think is dev- Mick Jagger? Probably for sure. Like, it's not going to give you the time yeah. of day. It's probably going to be a jerk oh, to you. Sh- yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, what do you think about Bob Dylan? Probably same thing. Yeah. 
Man, I don't know, man. Like, if you fucking figure it out, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> who do you think would? Who do you think would be a, a good person to uh, approach? Dude, you know it's I. It's hard to say. Some, but I mean, someone like Paul Rudd seemed like he'd be a pretty nice dude. There are some you people know. you get a sense of. You're like, listen, you don't have to be a great person. I know you're an asshole. I st- I'm still a fan. Like David, uh, you said David Bowie. You think he's a nice guy, but I, from what I've read, he's it, kind it, of an if asshole. I was his child, I yeah. would never approach that dude oh, okay. if I saw him walking down. Yeah, the I think he'd be an Hell asshole no. to be But there are some people you you don't get a read on. Like for example, I'm a big fan of Tom Waits. I don't get a read if Tom Waits would be an asshole or not. No way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go up to that dude. Jim I don't Jarmusch. know if I could. Like Jim I don't. Jarmusch and Tom Waits. Jim Jarmusch you know, could be an asshole. Hell, no. I might approach. I, I might approach Iggy Pop. I might approach Iggy Pop. That's I might tough, approach. Man. I would call him Mr. Pop. <laughs> hey, Mr. Pop. <laughs> Kevin Smith, of course. I mean, is is known to be an yeah, awesome guy. Very pro- no yeah, very. Yeah, that's his whole career. That's his money. That's where his money comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mr. Waits. Okay. Like, that's I'm like, that's enough for me. I'm like, oh, thank Who you. Said that? <laughs> oh, I was fucking him over there. I liked your. You have a really good Tom Waits like head head wave, like the old <laughs> old man like confused head nod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Audio podcasting people, you're missing out. You're missing out. We're not gonna do a visual podcast. Not gonna happen. Someday um, YouTube may be calling. Yeah. Yeah, Welcome it's to tough. It's podcast. A... <laughs> <laughs> oh, do we already do the intro? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. And I, and I, because you, in this book, you're waiting uh, very early on. Uh, I realize he's not going to meet John Hughes. I realize, because mm-hmm. we all know what happens to John Hughes. Um, he dies. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, maybe he'll meet John Hughes. But like, before he even moved back to Chicago, I'm like, he's not going to meet him. And that's kind of going to be the quote-unquote spoilers, he never meets John Hughes, hence searching for John Hughes. Um, mm-hmm. And so once I am like accepted that, then it was like, okay, what's he learning from John Hughes uh, in this? Um, and he even, he even, in looking at John Hughes's life, starts looking at John Hughes's politics, because I didn't know this, but apparently he's a pretty conservative guy. Uh, and would, he have, would he have been... Uh, you think he would have been? Uh, uh, what's that word that everybody uses when they when people don't like them? People shut people down for their politics. Um, mm-hmm. Cancelled. Oh. He would have been cancelled at this point. Um. Well, I mean, they talk about a few um, choice uh, scenes in his movies, like the weird science scene, like the sixteen candles scene. So I watched sixteen candles after it. And it was pretty, it held up. It wasn't that cancelable until the part where he's like, you know, um, the, the, the popular guy and the uh, Michael, uh, is it, who's the guy? Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall character are talking in the kitchen. And he's like, I could go in there right now. Like, what are you doing? Michael Hall's like, what are you doing? You got this hot piece number in the, in the bedroom. Yeah, I can go in. She's passed out in the bedroom. I can go in there and, and ravage her six ways to Sunday, something like that. And you're like, but said with such sincerity, like, this is just what people do. Like, it's totally acceptable. And, like, Michael Hall character, the one you're supposed to like, is like, why, well, why aren't you doing that? You know? <laughs> or the fact they put this drunk girl in the car and use her as, like, a weekend Bernie's prop for, like, the, <laughs> the third act of that movie. 
You know, we're supposed to think it's sweet that she wakes up and realizes, hey, this little horny skis ball is kind of sweet because he didn't rape me? <laughs> like my boyfriend was threatening to? And now the boyfriend yeah. is the romantic hero at the end of the movie? So he's going to go and 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 uh, potentially do the same thing to Molly Ringwald, America's Sweetheart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, well, so I mean, it, that stuff yeah. would be... Uh, Cancel, but I think he gets a pass from when John Hughes passed. Um, uh, that I don't think that people are, are someone will, and someone probably has, but not me. Someone probably tried, yeah. I mean, his gosh, it's he never, as far as I can tell, I, it doesn't seem like he ever brought any of that into his movies. The conservativeness you know, of it? Yeah. Well, I'll argue that I think setting it in the suburbs is the conservativeness of it. That's cons- that's conservative America central. These are middle-class Americans see- in the Reagan era who started building their houses in the suburbs who were maybe ex-hippies yeah. but then became yuppies. And they they were they were the beginning. They're, they're, he was, I think he was a Reagan guy. I think he was, I, I, I you know, yeah. a Reagan-America guy. Um not a, not a conservative like a proud boy like you would think of today. I don't right. think I don't think he would agree with those politics. I think there's enough uh, uh, liberal artistic ideas in his art which would make me think that he does not would not um, be a fan of what's happening uh, with the conservative culture today. Nor would he be a fan of what's happening with cancel culture today either. I yeah I agree. Would John Hughes be an anti-vaxxer? Let me see. Let me go. I'm going through all the movies. I'm going through all the movies. No, he 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 appreciates science. I mean, uh, uh, Kyle and, and uh, Wyatt and uh, um, Wyatt and Greg. Uh, um, I don't remember his name. Weird science. Yeah, Wyatt. It starts with Gary. Wyatt and Gary. Uh, use Garrett. Is it Garrett? Gary. 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 Because I used to watch the TV show, the the one with uh, Angel, Lisa Angel on it. Oh, the USA show. Weird. You ever watch the USA show Weird I don't Science? Think I have. Oh god, no. it's so good. It's 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 better than the movie. This this <laughs> the the series. You're laughing. It is. It's better. It's a better. It's, oh, it's so great. I'm, um, I'm laughing at your enthusiasm for this. And show. Uh, the guy who uh, plays uh, the one of the guys uh, hurling in the backseat of Wayne's World plays the brother Chet uh, in the show. Um, oh, Chet was brilliant. Yeah, and so he, he does a really good Chet to it. That um, was his conservatism coming through right there yeah. through Chet. But they use science right to produce the ultimate woman. I, I, why wouldn't he want to use science to cure the uh, uh, COVID? That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you proved it right there. Okay, so uh, we kind of talked about his uh, book, and we'll, we'll get back to it and put a, a nightcap on it. But let's have some fun with John Hughes since we're talking about John Hughes. Three favorite John Hughes movies. Uh, should we say... Yeah, and I'll say, and you can you can contradict. It could be either ones that he's written. Let's do written directed. Maybe should it be written Both? And directed? Yeah. Um. Gosh, I'm not even sure. Ones that he's I, written yeah. really changes my order. Ones he's written and directed, it seems like pretty. Um, favorite John Hughes movie. Let's go. Start from there. Number. Uh, let's, number one. So without like without putting the stipulations, just whatever something uh, he's involved with. Yeah. Um, I would say that the one that really, and, and I, he didn't direct this, but I, I'm pretty sure he, I know he wrote it was some kind of wonderful. 
that's so I haven't seen that. Really? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. When I'm looking through the list of them, it's one of my holes. I probably have about four major huge huge holes in my uh, <laughs> huge hole. I have a huge hole right there in my viewing of that. Uh, but now, now you got me interested. It's pretty cool, man. Does it, that that song? Some kind of wonderful. It's. I think it's in it, but okay. it, it's. It's. It has. Uh, it has a really cool soundtrack. Good, because that, that is my challenge that I'm going to give you at the end of this thing. Don't worry. It's coming, Ooh. Jay. All right. Uh, I'm going to go down my number one. It, it, unfortunately, it's not um, uh, unique, but ultimately, when I look at the list, it is It is so great. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so, I remember watching that probably when I was about seven with my uncle uh, for the first time. He was a big fan of it, and I. it was years after it came out, and I watched it, and even as a seven-year-old, uh, it was charming in a completely uh, a fun way, and then as a teenager, it's fun in a different way, and then as an adult, that movie really changes with age, but never becomes bad with age. It just yeah. changes with age. Uh, so um, when you're when you're uh, uh, a kid, a little kid, you're charmed by Ferris. When you're a teenager, you want to be Ferris. When you're adult, you you are nostalgic for the Ferris days, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Number two, we're going to go with top three. Give me a number two, Jay. Um, number two would probably be Pretty in Pink. Isn't she buenos in roses? <laughs> I just liked the whole, like, I first of all, for some reason, I just, I found the character of Steph to be really intriguing. And I know he's kind of like your cookie cutter 80s villain, but like, I just want to say like, why is this guy such a dick? Mm-hmm. Like, where does he, I want to know, I want to know more about him. You know, I just, I want to like, just, you know, maybe a, a part of me was like, he's such an asshole. He's such an elitist jerk that if he, if I could be his friend, that would really mean something, you know, like it, I, I would be accepted in the inner circle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that whole world of, of and, and the record shop, like I, I wanted to work at a record shop yeah. like Andy's. Yeah. You know, it does have um, stuff that would like it. I was going to say, it reminds me of like what I forgot who wrote Empire Records, but it kind of reminds me of that really kind of it's the coolest of his teen movies as far as stylistic, I think. Um, yeah, uh, my second would be a weird science. Love it, love it. Really, love I do like it. it. I do like it. <laughs> uh, even the controversy. Robert Downey Jr.'s character is so yeah. Damn, dude, even, underrated I love the, role. I love as a kid. I love the magic of it. All the magic parts uh, and some the magic parts. <laughs> Look mm, at my eyebrows, Jack. boy. How? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love the two the two boys, especially uh, Wyatt, who I think is now a professor somewhere in Texas. He's been a professor for a long time. Um, yeah, he's so the students are like you're Wyatt. Um, uh, I think they have great chemistry. I think that uh, the Wyatt character is kind of is an unknown, and we don't see other stuff, so he just exists kind of like in you know the weird science world. Um, and I love, I actually do love the very controversial scene where he gets like drunk. He's like, yo man, you got to daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you call me 
Call me on the phone. Um, all right. So for the third pick, I want you to pick something that is a more obscure uh, John Hughes movie uh, that you think people should watch. Mm. I think we're going to have the same one. That's interesting. Something that I think people should watch. Um, okay, so I'm... Well... I don't know, man, because all of this stuff well, seems well, pretty... I'm going to give you mine. Mine is Dutch. Okay. I think Dutch is underrated. I don't think a lot of people have seen Dutch. Uh, you have uh, Ed... Um, I agree. Not Ed Asner. Um, uh, Al Bundy. Um, gosh. Ed... Ed uh, Modern Family. Ed... Oh, shit. I've got it. If my thing ever comes up, oh come on, phone Ed O'Neill, Ed O'Neill, and a young uh, Ethan Embry, who I really love in everything, um, from Can't Hardly Wait to um, uh, we just talked about it, Empire Records to Cheap Thrills to that thing you do. I love Ethan Embry um, too. Um, so yeah, I, I think that those are um, good. I, I would say uh, kind of putting a bow on this one, what, what it made me, you know, we, we do these sets cause we want to pursue a topic through the lens of pop culture. And this really started me thinking about the healthiness of fandom, the healthiness mm-hmm. of when you're most primed to become a fan. And when it's, a, there's the essentialness when you're younger, it feels like to attach yourself to some kind of property, um, some sort of IP, or some sort of uh-huh. personality, whether it be a band, a director, uh, an actor, uh, a, a comic book, uh, something, uh, some sort of IP, some sort of property, because it gives you a way to identify with other people and a uh, facade to wear as you're trying to figure out what your de- identity is. However, I this book made me question uh, how healthy of it how healthy now that I'm older is it to hold on? Because now we call it nostalgia. Nostalgia is a, a way of of talking about fandom in a way that's like, oh, I'm a huge fan of that because it makes me because I'm nostalgic for that. And it, it's almost a way of distancing yourself from like, well, is it nostalgia or are you still like a fanatic? And should you still be a fanatic about this? Should you move past it? Should you have outgrown it? Appreciate it still. But if you haven't outgrown it, if you're still looking at life through the lens of that thing that you love, is it a positive aspect to your life? And these are the the questions uh, and things that this book raised for me. I think it did a really good job of that. Now, it's not not the greatest, you know, thrilling uh, page turner of all time. It doesn't deliver on on some of the John Hughes stuff. Uh, If... If I was the editor, I would say uh, when you get to a major scene, crossroads in your life, compare it to a particular scene in a John Hughes movie. And before you leave that, talk about the the filming of that scene and some cool tidbits that you uncovered in your research. Bring in some of that John Hughes research that other people might not know. Um, 
and pepper that in so then it becomes you can enjoy it as a John Hughes um, you know subculture thing and also a memoir I think it's a great memoir I don't know if it's a great John Hughes book um, I don't think that was his intention but I think that could have been another level that could have been added to it yeah yeah so if we're if we're kind of going on if we're getting on the subject of critiques, <clears throat> one of the things that um, I kind of think was missed is I would have liked to have gone into some of his life a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, John, he talked John about Hughes or the uh, no, Jason no, Diamond. Jason Diamonds. You know, he talks about his because, like, I was. So you mentioned so this really wasn't a John Hughes book, you know. Um, it wasn't really a John Hughes biography, and I sometimes I get the sense I kind of wasn't fully a Jason Diamond memoir mm-hmm. because, and I'll tell you why. What happened to his mom? Did he ever reconnect with his mom? You know, wh- how did that fall? How I. I you know, living in New York, what was it like? You know, take me into those some of those bars. You know, sometimes I feel like there wasn't enough nuance in there. You know, what? It's like I I wasn't fully engaged in it, and I don't know if it's just be, I don't know if he did that on purpose, but it seemed like there was a lot of kind of uh, general, you know, a lot of surface descriptions, Tip-toeing a lot of stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and there were some things that I'm like, well, I kind I wish I knew kind of this stuff a little bit more. But, um, you know, that that's the only thing I kind of. Found. I mean, what did, did you think? What did you think? Yeah, about no, I that? agree with that. I agree with that too. But I don't really want it to be longer than it was. So it's about subtracting stuff to yeah. get that stuff in. Um, I think there were some sections of his life early on, like in his broke down druggy years, like when he's living with his English teacher, that maybe went on a little bit too long. That could be substituted out for some more Hughes stuff or some more See, I liked that. I- imagery stuff. Oh, I liked it, uh, but I don't want it to be longer than it was. So if he takes stuff out, you know, um, that he spent a lot of time on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it was, I mean, a great starter for this, the, this talk. And it also created my playlist challenge for you. Wait, wait, before you give me it, before you tell yeah. me that, I want to, I want to get my John Hughes movie. Okay. That, that was yes, so one right. of the things a little a little more obscure and a lot of people don't like don't agree with this but i i'm a big holiday movie fan i know you're not um but i i really like holiday movies and one of the movies that i like of his at a little bit more obscure is his version of miracle on 34th street I've seen it um i like it i like you know some of the older versions of course but yeah. um i heard his version was terrible and people panned it left and right. And then I watched it a few years ago. I'm like, this isn't that bad. No. The little, it's actually the pretty good. little girl who played like Matilda back in the day, I think. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Yeah. And okay. uh, so I liked it. And that's the one I'd recommend if you like holiday movies. That is the wrong answer. But uh, I appreciate your input. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> the holiday wrong. season is coming around. So if you listen to this podcast and want to watch John Hughes movies, that's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. So here's my... Um, challenge to you and we're and you can we can manipulate it so because i have a couple ways to go around it okay. either we can pick an iconic 
John Hughes scene, like the raising of the fist and the hey, 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 mm-hmm, uh, or the end of Sixteen Candles, um, uh, or uh, the the uh, uh, computer, uh, you know, the weird science song uh, from you know the making of the the woman. We could pick a scene and each rescore that iconic John Hughes scene or we can each pick our own scene and then rescore it. I think it's more fun if we pick the same scene. Okay. I, I like I like the, the John Bender part at the end of Breakfast Club. Yeah, I think the, it the... I think it is it's probably the most yeah. iconic. It's probably the most iconic of all his movie scenes and the most iconic of all his 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 songs. I mean and it is perfect. Like you almost don't want to touch it. But we are going to. So, listeners, if you tune in to all four of our sets, or you just tune in to this one, and then you want to skip to the playlist one in a couple episodes, we're going to go through all our songs about fandom. Yes, of course, we will do that. Jay will pick seven, and I will pick seven. But our last two songs will be the rescoring of the John Hughes seminal classic, Breakfast Club. Oh, that's good. Mm. That's good. And I'm going to make a call right now, Jay. I'm making all mm. kinds of calls. <laughs> I got you for the rest of your natural born life, Jay. Uh, <laughs> next week, next, next, uh, next episode in our fandom set, Detroit Rock City. Mm. Gotta lose your bottom, Detroit. That's right. We're watching Detroit Rock City, y'all. We're going from John Hughes fans to the Knights in Satan service fan. I'm talking about the hottest band in the world. Kiss, baby. Kiss. All right. Yes. So the if demon. you are either a Kiss fan or an Edward Furlong fan, tune in. And we will catch you on the next pop wave. The next huge pop wave. Banza!